So would you say that you believe that Jesus Christ is the only pathway to salvation? I, <laughs> no. Like theologically, <laughs> I, I think that like atonement theology is one that I'm letting go of at a rapid rate. Okay, cool. <laughs> um, hence, I think I certainly disqualify for being evangelical in that sense. Um, and it's, that's, I think that's the first time I've actually been that clear about, I, I'm not sure I've ever said that on a microphone to this point. You're about to make the jump from the echo chamber into free and independent thought on the subjects of culture, causes, politics, and faith. Welcome to Indie Thinker with Reed Juberman. I am in a little bit of a different setting today, so you guys can comment down below. Let me know what you think about the new digs. Uh, but I'm really, really pumped today to have an amazing person uh, come and be with us today, Jennifer Knapp. Uh, so Jennifer, how are you? Uh, good to be here, Reed. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for uh, coming on. Um, I know we don't know each other from Adam. I don't even know what that expression means, but I know it's probably always the... Uh, I, I get asked to be on podcasts for friends, so I typically know what I'm uh, jumping into, but uh, but I appreciate anybody who's willing to come on and, and have a conversation with us. I'm really glad you're here. So let me give a brief introduction, and then uh, we'll, we'll jump into the convo. All right, so Jennifer Knapp is a Grammy-nominated singer-songwriter, author, speaker, and uh, she has sold over one million albums with her first three releases, Kansas, Lay It Down, and The Way I Am. In the Christian world, you'll probably be familiar with her uh, hit songs, Undo Me and A Little More. She has earned four Dove Awards and two Grammy nominations. So, uh, Jen, I wanted to start off by just saying congratulations on your master's degree. I don't know how often you update your website, but at least on your website it says that you just recently got your master's degree from Vandy. Uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it's one of like my most recent achievements. I, I graduated a couple years ago, got my master's in theological studies, which was a, a really uh, intriguing time. And yeah, it's the thing I did. <laughs> yeah, it's a thing you did. And I'm curious, like, uh, why in God's name did you do that to yourself? Right. Uh, that's a very good question. I mean, I, I, I've always really enjoyed kind of like, one of the things I was saying, actually, to my the Dean of Vanderbilt Divinity School, uh, Dr. Emily Towns. Uh, she's an amazing human being. Um, one of the things I, I, when I was contemplating going into school, I said, you know, I said in a weird way, like reading and getting to know more about theology and about Christianity actually somewhat rescued it for me. It was just a very educational process. So one of the things that I started to do when I got really pissed off with Christianity and frustrated with it and left my career in the first place was that I just wanted to go, what in the world was I just a part of? Yeah. yeah. Um, why was I there in the first place? And once the emotionality of my decision was gone, what, what were the, like the intellectual things and mm -hmm. what were the reasons why I was willing to stay there? And so I did a lot of reading and I, I said, you know, it's really surprising to me that being educated about Christianity and learning more about what other people thought about uh, the way that we, you know, the way that our shapes, history is shaped, the way that we build our arguments to like genuine uh, idea that Christianity does something meaningful for human beings was something that was in a little bit like rescued for me to be hmm. able to kind of dig a little bit deeper. So uh, I was really surprised at that. I was surprised I ended up in div school, um, but at the same time, I, I really enjoyed it. And I, I really enjoy, um, yeah, being able to kind of not just 
look at religion as something that we do as a pastime or some kind of cultural inheritance, but realize it's a significant thing that's impacted our planet and what we do and the way that we think. And um, yeah, it's it's something that I feel like, you know, is is a responsibility that I even made, I think, even to the conversations that I get to be in in the future. I found myself in a lot of conversations, particularly as a gay person who had been involved in Christianity, I, I really wanted to be able to be responsible for what I was saying as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, and to and I think that's part of joining an academy of people who care about this stuff that says, you know, I'm willing to be responsible for what I say and what I do and the influence that I have. So let's give a little bit of background to um, because I have a question about that. And I, I wanted to kind of go slow, but um, but I already have kind of a quick, couple quick questions about that. So you uh, were a prominent uh, Christian artist and you came out. Uh, when did you come out as as gay? Uh, the officially, I mean, it's so weird because like in real life, like, you know, I had a relationship by 2004. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, the press release didn't come out publicly until I think 2010. OK. And when uh, when would you say that you uh, came to the conclusion that you were gay? At what point in time? How old were you at, at that time? Yeah, man, I was. I feel like such a late bloomer today. <laughs> I, yeah, I was like around. I, I was like in my late twenties. Okay, okay. So, um, and, you know, I I finally just. I mean, it's it makes sense to me. Kind of looking backwards, I probably it, it would have made sense to me a lot more if like I was in an environment where that was an option. You yeah. know, one of the things I joke about is being like a rural uh, Kansas kid. It's not like there weren't gay people in my town, but you know, I was born in the seventies, and it just it never really seemed like an option for me. Right, and then right. when I met my partner and that became a legitimate option for me, I was like, oh, this makes so much more sense. Yeah. 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 So, okay. And um, I guess the thing I'm curious about, curious about the most is that you around 2002, I think it was, um, left the States, you went to Australia and you came back and um, around that time too, you, you kind of left music. So I'm curious if the leaving of music and the kind of, reassessment of your Christianity, or maybe if you would call it being burned out with your faith that eventually led you to Vanderbilt. Uh, did any of that have to do with you with you coming out? No, it really didn't. I mean, I think there's a, I mean, I think the timeline for a lot of people matches up to that. And I get that question a lot. Sure. sure. Um, but I, I think for me, like career, like I was a, a definite place career wise that I was just like, I, I was just so burnt out doing music and frustrated as a human being like now were you frustrated and burned out just simply because you failed to see the purpose behind what you were doing or what what was it that did that yeah i think i think one of the things that i found is that there were like i was at that point is becoming a very much a young you know i was very much starting to become an adult i had opinions of my own thoughts of my own that i felt like I was in an environment that I couldn't express those and still continue to have my career. And there were a, a wide variety of theological positions or things that I wanted to explore as an artist. And I, I just, I felt like I couldn't genuinely be the kind of Christian that people were expecting to see in this particular thing. Like it was conservative, it was evangelical. Sure, I, sure. Was not, I was not conservative in my theological viewpoints. I was not evangelical at all. I didn't know that. Um, it took me a long time. And I, I, the result of that, even though like those were like, I would, I would pin those as mature awakening kind of things. At the same time, I wasn't, my whole life was built on being able to represent this one kind of thing. And I, I just, I felt 
it just I felt ingenuine doing it. So I was like, embarrassed about it. I didn't know what to do about it. Mm -hmm. and, and so I just I was like, I wasn't going to do any of that in public. I just wasn't going to do any of that. And to be honest about the sexual sexuality portion of it, I'd been celibate for 10 years. I mean, I'd been doing everything that was expected of me. You know, you're single, so you don't have sex outside of marriage. I didn't date. I'd shut my entire sexuality down. Yeah. So it wasn't until that point that I was able to go, listen, the, the general decision that I made overall was that I'm going to start listening to my person. Like, I need to take care of myself. I need to, to get healthy in my mind and in my body. And part of that was just being able to make myself available to relationships again. Yeah, and when yeah. I made that, when I made that choice, and that, that was just an option for me at that point. Like, like I had a, a, a strong relationship with my now wife at the time, and that was critical to me. And I'm like, listen, I'm not going to say no to one of the most valuable relationships I've ever had in my life. I'm just not going to do it. And I'm going to you know, so it wasn't until after I got out of that environment that I was able even to listen to what was a possibility and what was right to making me whole. I, a lot of the other things I think prior to that, I don't think they were disingenuous for myself, but they were also a prescription laid out by other people sure, that, sure. you know, were supposed to be the, the recipe for a good, healthy, you know, a good, wholesome, but not necessarily a whole life. Yeah. So I, I hear that a lot kind of in the, uh, especially recently with the deconstructive um, or deconstruction kind of Christian musician artist movement uh, a lot, just about kind of making your faith your own and really claiming it and finding your voice in the midst of all of that. Um, so I think that all of that coming of age stuff is really, really important and interesting. And so I want to dig into that. But but the I have a question within the question that I just asked, and I'm really curious about this. I want to share my thoughts with you, but I want to get your experience first just to test my thesis out. So before I tell you the thesis, um, I, I, I have this idea, but you tell me your experience. Did, um, did any of that kind of redefinition, maybe even burnt outness with Christianity have anything to do with fellow Christians? And what I mean by that is not like the commenters on YouTube or on Facebook or social media or Twitter, not the people who are spewing hate behind screens or anything like that, but actually interactions with real quick Christians and uh, whether or not you found that those interactions were distasteful, especially when you finally came out as gay and whether or not you felt like there was really this, um, this sentiment of hate being um, thrust upon you after, after that moment. So there's really no right or wrong answer. I'm just interested in your experience. I'm going to sound incredibly generous here, I think. Um, I mean, I, I do agree that I, I, I will hold that there's a, a, a significant social component to faith and faith community. Sure. sure. Um, but I, I think when I examine the, the meaningful relationships that I had with other people of faith, um, I, I, I can't say that I've ever really been disappointed by that. Like, mm -hmm. Even even in conflict, even with disagreements or different positions or whatever, there's you know there's good healthy relationships lack shame. They have empathy. You know they have support. They're with you in, in trying to build and collaborate with the journey that you're trying to make. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, so I, I would say you know I don't think it's monolithic. I wouldn't write off all Christians as incapable of having a good social. Um, input and and good character that will help you build you know have a good strong life but what i found is that there were few people 
who are actually invested in assisting one another on a journey, on a spiritual journey, as opposed to authority, you know, authorizing what is acceptable path to be on. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're kind of, I found like there a lot, at least where I lived in that environment that I was in, there were so few people that were willing to be partners with me on my journey rather than dictating to me what my journey sh- in their mind should be. You know, I'm an expert at this, so you yeah, should yeah. listen to me and do this next thing. And that's a problem. I mean, it's a real problem with the way that, yeah, I you know, I, I, yeah, I, I step back from that. For me personally, I step back from that and really start to go, what is the future of our Christian faith when we don't actually teach people how to have a journey anymore? We've just been telling people for a long time about what and dictating what that journey should be. And I think that's a difference between one, you know, somebody who's a really good teacher or somebody who's an authoritarian on the matter. So I, I think the social component is important. How we transmit and share sure. this kind of stuff is really significant. But at the end of the day, yeah, it was really difficult to be in an environment where I was outnumbered and, and it was really hard to find people who were invested in me. And, I, and I, I'd like to say, like, when I left Christian Music, one of the dearest friends of mine was actually my record company president you know like i had i owed three more records to a record company i said i can't do this anymore i don't know who i am i don't know who i want to be i need to i need time and i don't i may not come back yeah i may not come back dude and he was just as a human being on that level just saying i stand by you i stand by you to to be able to to go through this process to go through this process in a safe place it's meaningful to you and i invest in your you know in who you are as a human being first and your art second because i know in the long run he was a friend who knew that you know what was going to be revealed to me as a human being would come out in my you know artistic work and and so it wasn't like he even waited for me to come back i never worked for goatee records again but that was a rare thing he was one of one of the primary people with a, a vested interest in my continuing to do my work no matter how i felt um and said, no, nope, the money doesn't matter. You know, the, the whatever happens to Christianity can wait yeah. for you, whether I, I, or not you want to participate or not. I, I have to tell you, I appreciate your boldness in two fronts. Um, I, I, regardless of if I or anybody else agrees with your dis- personal decision making on the matter, um, it's undeniably a very big step to do what you did in two ways. One, to be as open and honest as you are to talk about these things. Um, and as you're doing right now, which I think is, uh, I think is commendable. But then the second thing I would say is also, um, wow, stepping away from music when you're, when you were as successful as you were, most people, um, now you, you may not have been a multiple platinum, uh, whatever, but, um, you had a career that most people would, would kill for. And then you stepped away from all of that, which is just like super huge or really, really suicidal. (laughs) Well, I was suicidal, which is why I stepped away. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, you know. So you were like literally suicidal. Uh, yeah, I was really struggling to 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 keep breathing. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't want to make paint it too grim, but like it was for me a, de- a decision that I made that was utterly selfish, in in to say that I something about the experience that I'd had in my faith had allowed me to value myself enough mm-hmm. to be able to hear somebody going, oh, you're selfish. You, you, oh, you're going through a hard time. You need to get together. You know, you need to get yourself together and, and buck up. 
um, I'm like, no, I'm not doing, I'm really not doing well. I don't value myself right now. Like I should, yeah. and I'm making decisions that aren't in my best interest. And that sounds like a paradox inside of a Christian bubble, like, especially for women, it's not to get into add the gender issue on top of it, but this idea that we're supposed to be submissive, that sacrifice is supposed to, you know, that sacrifice is a thing that's supposed to be a good sign of us doing a good work. Right, right. And it, anything that's ripping us apart, you know, I had to question, you know, I, I had to question whether or not there was value in me not valuing myself anymore. And something about my faith that said, no, I'm a person of worth, I'm a person of value. And if I'm feeling like this, and this is the space that I'm in, something's wrong. Something's very, very wrong. And I need to step back and take care of myself. And there's no amount of money that's going to make me feel better. Mm -hmm. There's, I, I don't even know what's going to, you know, at that yeah, moment, yeah. I didn't really know what was going to make me feel better, but I knew that this thing at that moment was very toxic for me and very damaging. And I'm like, I, you have a choice to make, like, you're not happy. You know, you're not happy. This thing could possibly kill you. And I was like, I'm not going to do that anymore. I don't, I am yeah. not going to be killed by this. It's not worth it. Good for you. you. Know? Yeah. Yeah, that's great. So, um, so circling back to kind of uh, the reason I asked about people's response to you is because um, my thesis is is that evangelical Christians probably get a bad rap, um, deservedly in some ways, but also to sometimes not. Um, and if I'd be totally honest with you, um, I watched your Larry King interview from like 10 years ago. Um, and I think this happened a little bit too on that interview. Um, very often the culture looks at disagreement as condemnation. Um, and this is where I think a lot of Christian evangelicals get a bad rap is because when they, when they say that they disagree with something or they have reasons not to agree with a certain issue, whatnot, um, it's immediately re uh, looked at as condemnation or unloving or uncharitable. Um, and, and, uh, and so I, this happens in a myriad of different ways, much even beyond the Larry King thing. Um, this happens in a myriad of different ways with Christian evangelicals. But I've spent the last 18 years 19 years of my life as a pastor and then doing various roles within the the church and i can honestly tell you i've never seen or heard except for like maybe once or twice in my life with a random guy on a street corner ever hear a christian evangelical to say that somebody's going to hell i've never ever heard it um and i think that the vast majority of things when we get down to a conversational level um, they can still break down and there can still be uh, people who don't want to have conversations who aren't interested in hearing another person's perspective and really engaging things thoughtfully. But by and large, I think we probably, not on social media, but probably treat each other a little bit better than we give ourselves credit for. I don't know. What do you, what do you think about that in terms of your personal experience? Um, yeah, I mean, I'd say it's very few people have been, you know, violently... Uh, you know, saying you're going to go to hell uh, or actually wishing me to hell. Um, I think that exists. I don't, I, don't, sure, I don't think I want to take that apart. But I mean, I think there is there is a practice that's available that more people could understand the nuance of there is a difference between dis disagreement. And uh, one of the things that I talk about is like in Christ like, for example, I, I thought part of my academic healing journey that I was doing when I actually traveled in Europe a lot, I like after, right after I was, uh, after I left and, uh, I was just, for some reasons, just going to a lot of churches in Europe. And I was like, wow, Christians are different in Europe mm -hmm. than American Christians. Right. 
And I, it, it just opened this idea, this door open to realize that Christians aren't a monolith. Right. right. And, and there are a wide variety of ways that people practice. I mean, the, I mean, the basic building blocks are there. I mean, Jesus is a central figure. God is, you know, the ultimate. Uh, but Christianity, even today, like there are over 30, I don't know if people know this, but there are over 34,000 different Christian denominations. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's growing. Like that was that was that's a number that I read around 2012 or 2013 somewhere in there, and that's growing exponentially every year. And we're sometimes divided by the smallest theological point. You know, you know, do you get wet? You know, do you get baptism or do yeah, you not yeah. get baptism? Are you submerged? You know, or when do when do you do it? Or all these other things that we fought wars over in our his, our human history. All but to say is that. We have had wars about that. We've had violent disagreements about that. At the same time, we've also managed to be able to go on this and realizing that their Christianity isn't one set prescription. And in that conversation, it is not necessarily that we are right. That is the nuance of understanding that my position isn't a position that is the only it is the only way. Sure. sure. It is a perspective that in, in light of what you're saying, it's a perspective that I like LGBTQ issues, right, inside of evangelical community, would say, well, you're telling me that I am no longer Christian. You don't have the authority to say that. You don't know that. Yeah. Yeah. I I am. I'm practicing. I I have this is my faith language. You're there's nothing that you can do, as Paul said, there's not there's nothing that you can do that's taking that away. I've not walked away from that, but you're telling me this and and like the Bob Botsfords of the world in that particular thing going, you know, this is what I'm afraid of is you're not going to be a Christian anymore. Well, I'm not. So if we're going to disagree on it, that's fine. We can disagree on it. But the nuance of being able to tell someone, listen, I, I don't actually share that perspective. What do I do? Am I open to that perspective at all? Am I willing to try, you know, well, am I willing to understand that LGBTQ issues? You know, I think there is a, a point where I go, well, there is a part of when we're doing the theology that damages people. Mm -hmm. uh, we have to be willing to change what we've been teaching. We have to be able to say, what what have I carried with me that's that I need to change because it's hurting people? Sure, like, sure. is this actually giving life? Is this actually good news in any, any way? So we have to be willing in all of that stuff to say, I was wrong, even in that, you know? Yeah, even, yeah. I, even the theological positions that I work on now or that I think about now, I kind of go, well, all right. Well, I need to. This has to has this has to have a practice. I need to be seeing this go out into the into the world and have space. So I, I think the nuance of being able to say, "Listen, I think it's possible for us to disagree. I think it's obvious that we have different denominations, different traditions, and different ways that we practice it." And you know, it doesn't necessarily you know, Baptists aren't any more right than the Methodists or the Presbyterians or whatever. That that kind of giving up that battle, I think, is the first thing to being able to help us be healthy. I don't know. I don't know that I agree that we're, we've necessarily been successful at that. Sure. But I think it is possible, and that we do that, and to say that it's a monolith where all Christians are saying, "If you don't do it my way." Well, I, I don't know. I think Baptists are definitely right about the fried chicken thing after church, and I'm not so sure that the Methodists got that, but um, but we can disagree about that later. Um, I, I think uh, I, I think the, a lot of what you said there is really, really important. So I am interested in kind of engaging with you about what many in the evangelical, including myself, um, I, I kind of struggle with in terms of how do you square 
the the circle of of homosexuality and Christianity. Um, so let me just ask a quick yes or no. So you would would you consider yourself at this point in time a Christian um, and then slash Christian musician? Uh, no, I wouldn't slash anything. Um, yeah, I, I, I've, I've been stammering about how to qualify my faith life uh, for a while now. I mean, I, I'm not uncomfortable being called a Christian. Uh, that doesn't necessarily bother me, but it's not necessarily some uh, the context of which, like the baggage of what m most people expect when you say I'm okay, a Christian. Okay. I, I just it doesn't make sense to me. So like one of the one of the things that happens a lot um, at if you've ever said I'm a queer person who's set on a panel for a lot of these discussions. And one of the things that happens right away is you're like, how do you identify as a person? How do you identify in your faith? And how do you identify, you know, with your sexual orientation? So you just say I'm a lesbian. And when it comes to my faith, I usually say that Christianity is more the language of my, my faith or my spiritual practice. So it is the mother tongue that I go to when I'm thinking about divinity, when I'm thinking about god whatever god is or however i describe or whenever i do and i don't believe in god in that day mm -hmm. but i'm not necessarily interested in preserving christianity for the sake of preserving christianity yeah, yeah, yeah. it is a it is a tool and a language and a practice and a community of people who have been engaged in this journey for a long time and that language makes sense to me okay so um and and this is not to try to paste you with a label or anything like that it's just to kind of get, get a little bit more clarity um, so is, uh, so would you say that you believe that Jesus Christ is the only pathway to salvation? I, <laughs> no, like okay, theologically, I, I think that like atonement theology is one that I'm letting go of at a rapid rate. Okay, <laughs> okay cool. Um, that hence, I think I certainly disqualified for being an evangelical in that sense. Um, and it's, that's, I think that's the first time I've actually been that clear about I'm not sure I've ever said that on a microphone to this point. And the, part of the reason why I say that is because I think we're, I think we've done a lot of damage and I think we need to be able to understand something. Like for me, I, I don't think, I, I wouldn't exchange Jesus as being a revelation for Christianity at all. I wouldn't exchange that for the world. I think Jesus is very much a revelation and, lets us see a doorway to our liberation that we need to believe somewhat mm -hmm. in the goodness of what we were created to. I think original sin is a problem. I think the idea that we need to be saved or rescued, and if we're not, and if we don't contribute to that work, that God is going to look past us. I just don't buy into that. I don't see that in our sacred text. Mm -hmm. I don't see that as being a workable theology that's proved itself to be long-term giving humanity any sense of its value and its worth in life. So, you know, I, it's, it's, it's a funny thing to be able to say out loud because I've, after spending so many years in evangelical Christianity where that's the thing you say, Jesus saves, you know, you have to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Not yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. And I, I'm going to kind of go, well, I don't think Christianity is, made impotent by saying that that's not true, that it's, that it's not necessary. Yeah, yeah. I think everybody's essentially saved. I don't think anyone's essentially condemned. And that's, that's the thing that I, I think is the point that I would make is when you say that, you know, that, that this is the action that has to be made, what you're saying is that from the get go, we're all condemned. Okay. And I don't, I don't, I don't buy into that. I don't believe that's consistent with uh, the, you know, 
I don't think that's consistent with the God that I, I, I see written out in, in this tradition. Yeah. Now, when you say written out in tr this tradition, do you mean written out in scripture? I, I do mean in, in the history of like, the timeline, when you like look at the Bible as a macro kind of timeline, you're looking at thousands and thousands of years. I think that that's the story that we're working out. And I think we're still writing that in some weird ways. Mm -hmm. So I think the evidence, and I think we go to our sacred texts. These, this is a, I'm not necessarily a, an errant, I'm, I'm not an inerrant Bible person at all. Uh, but I think in some sense, and this is going to sound really even more uh, upsetting to some folks. I think we're still writing that sacred text. You know, I think we're still living that out. The things that we are contri contributing to that just don't get into that canon. Yeah, yeah. So but we're still sharing and transmitting that experience with one, uh, one another. We're still working out that way or that mm -hmm. path and journey. So do you not see, uh, then the, I guess ultimately this is one of the big kind of like overarching questions I had about all this because I don't see this as evangelical. I see this as Christianity writ large. So I'm curious kind of how you've uh, wrestled with this and what you think about uh, just the idea that once you move away from um, a set canon, or you say that we're constantly evolving in our understanding of what Christianity is, I don't know how that doesn't move into a completely arbitrary religion um, where we kind of just make it up as we go along and maybe we borrow a little bit here, we borrow a little bit there. Uh, for instance, when, when, I read, when I read scripture, um, I think the scripture is really clear about the divinity of Christ and the necessity of Christ. And then I also square that logically by saying, well, I mean, obviously I believe in grace. I believe in a benevolent father. I believe in a loving Jesus who died on the cross for our sins. And I think all of those things are so beautiful that I wouldn't want to try to rewrite it myself. But then also too, I think to myself, the person who doesn't want to believe those things, well, I don't think God is then just and loving anymore if he forces them to believe in those things or says you have to, um, uh, th that you have to believe in them and that you're a robot and I'm going to make you believe in them. So everybody has this kind of free will choice to accept the things of God. And then um, if you think about just hell as eternal separation from God, I think to myself, well, God is also unjust to just say, you never believed this, you never loved me, you didn't want to have anything to do with me, um, but now I'm going to force you to spend eternity with me. And that just doesn't, that doesn't make sense to me in terms of who, of who God is. So ultimately, it just brings me back to this reality of, well, what we, what we do have is we have Holy Scripture, that, that teaches us these ideas. And then what we have to do is we have to hold those things up to scrutiny. And then if we don't believe them, we say, hey, we don't believe them. But if we do, then we are obligated to hold to them even when uh, it doesn't make sense, even when it hurts. Yeah, I, I, you know, I don't know that I look at the, uh, at the Bible as something that's intended to teach. I mean, I think it's, I think any time that we're, like in that specific way, like it's a textbook or it's a manual. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it, at the same time, I wouldn't disregard it in any way as being able to learn from one another and to be able to learn from our past experiences. Um, I, I wouldn't throw those out for anything. But I, I think there is a challenge to even see within our sacred text what I'm talking about in that we have been sharing, like if you look at the Old Testament, for example, the idea of heaven and hell didn't really exist. Yeah, and yeah. then that starts to kind of evolve into this experience um, that's, that is a little bit held in, in the New Testament. 
and we're now now in, the, in our modern time where where there are people now just kind of going well like you were saying for example hell is more of our like this separation from god it's not actually this place that we go to right and well whether it is or not i'm just saying put that aside for a moment but but i, I you know i think that the for me, the perspective in, in being able to say that there's an ultimate authority is it's a, it's a real challenge for me personally to say that, you know, I can go to this one thing and be held to it because the interpretations of that are really. Well, well I guess I guess here's the question in the question is, is that you're going to have to take you're going to have to take one of the two troubles. And and to me, the trouble of you becoming the ultimate authority or you becoming the ultimate author of your own faith uh, is more troubling than the reliance that we have upon Holy Scripture. So do you not, do you not share that concern? Because that, there's obviously, there's a concern, right? As with the make it up as you go along kind of Christianity that you could be, that you could be uh, capable of if you're not following this sacred text. Yeah, I think those are two, for me, I think those are two charges. The, the, the charge of making it up as you go along and the idea that an individual who listens to the to like that invests in themselves and invests in uh i'll use a, like a, a christian parlance in their quiet time right invests in the voice that they find within themselves the the sacred temple that is you right mm -hmm. the, the charge that that's in some sense trying to be self-serving and that you is the ultimate authority i would you know, I, I don't want to be the ultimate authority in, in what I make. I don't want to make anything up and nor do I want to be written out as the ultimate authority. So what does that mean? So what is the balance of that? What is what are the what are the things that I'm coming across that that, you know, like the mystics, like the, the Christian mystics have done it exactly what you're talking about when you're talking about an individual becoming an authority. And some people have acted on that. No, conclusion no. that they have made in that sacred mystic place of being the authority for other people. So what gives them that authority to do that? The long term, I think, you know, kind of goes back to our conversation of like, what, what are the theological things that we're practicing? What are the things that we think that we may be discovering individually? That has to go outward. That has to be tested in some sense. It has to be... For sure, sure. It has to be proved useful. It's not just useful for me. It should be something that is actually in continuity with life. The general principles of what I would say that the fit the, the laws, if in some sense of God's holiness and God's divinity and God's uh, prosperity. And not I don't I mean prosperity by life. Yeah, yeah, not Creflo Dollar. Yeah, not for a dollar, but for life. Does it give love? Does it give life? Does it create what is good? Mm -hmm. Does it, and by good, I don't necessarily mean morally good, but what is, what is, you know, can allowing us to move forward, allowing us to be liberate, be liberated in some sense, yeah. not yeah. necessarily free, but liberated to be able to, to explore and be part and be united in God's, in whatever this mysterious thing is. Uh, I, I don't have an answer for that, but I think those are the common charges that we hear when we're, and I think it discourages people from actually investing their own mind and their own thought. And I think the LGBTQ community is a really great case study in that going, you know, I go to the sacred text. It's a mystery to me, but here it is that I see this. And we've got a community of people who have not 
you know, have not in any sense claimed their authority to say, well, the Bible says that homosexuality is a sin, but now we're saying it's not because we're here and we want to be gay. That's not an argument that I've ever heard anybody say. Mm -hmm. It's not an argument I've ever seen hold water, but instead allowing gay people to go to, to be who they are, to build loving relationships. I mean, imagine it, it's hard for somebody who isn't gay to imagine the the strange discomfort that you feel as an LGBTQ person. Sure, or for sure. me personally, when I went, wow, my faith taught me how to love. My faith taught me how to be a good partner. My, my faith taught me a lot. It prepared me to be a loving human being. It prepared me to be open to love. It prepared me to love others. Um, it was not something that I was necessarily taught as in you follow the script, but it was a journey of other people's experiences and the, the entire story of being able to look at it and going, Hey, I, I'm seeing this come into focus now. Like this is a really amazing thing. And, and I want to be a part of giving people life. I want to be a, be a part of not shaming other human beings. What does that mean? And how does that shape my world? Mm-hmm. So it, I, I think it's a, it's a real challenge for us to get away from this idea that there are certainties and to, to, to say, to, to vilify ambiguity or to vilify people who are saying, listen, I need to challenge this for a while. I may come to a different conclusion. I don't know. I may end up where you are. I may believe what you believe and it may become more certainty, but those certainties don't become certainties for us until it becomes our reality, until it becomes something that we own. And, and I think that was part of my struggle. I think early on, and I think some of the, the struggle that some people feeling that, deconstructive part of their faith or actually it's a move of maturity to be able to say i need to own this on my own i don't need to just do this because i read it somewhere or because somebody else told me that but i need to be able to go out and practice i need to be able to fail and i need to be able to fail with the idea that you're not vilifying me saying that i went out to just serve myself yeah because we all I, i think there's an argument to be made that when i when i am selfish it is inherently selfish it doesn't necessarily produce things for me. I'm not, you know, giving into life, you know, I'm not, I'm looking at life and saying, what does it expect of me instead of, you know, what do I expect? What is life expecting for me instead of thinking about what I am expecting life to give me? So there's, there's a relationship in there that I think that's part of what we have and not, we miss out when we don't teach that portion of what it means to be faith. Mm -hmm. When we just spend our time trying to convince people of what a right way is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, I, so here's what I'd say to that. I, I think it is so easy for you to be a right good evangelical and just to believe what you read, but then not even know why you believe it. So I would be the last person on, on the planet that would try to vilify ambiguity because I think you need to explore that ambiguity. In fact, I would say deconstruction, there's a big talk about that right now in the Christian musician world. Uh, John Cooper, who I don't even know if you ever connected with John in, in your dealings, but the lead singer Skillet um, has been really vocal about. But, um, but I think deconstruction has a place as long as we're not deconstruction for deconstructing stay, sake. And that means just kind of questioning things, tearing things apart so that we can analyze it. But then after that, building back up. Um, but, but my, but I am, so I'm not concerned with the vilification of ambiguity, although I think that's a thing. I am concerned, however, with the vilification of truth 
because I, I don't buy into the idea that that there is uh, that truth is all relative, that you have your truth and I have my truth, and we're all just trying to figure out each and everyone's individual truth. I, I do believe that that's where scripture comes in handy, is that once you've investigated and you've in, and looked into the ambiguity, you've, you've tested your ideas against scrutiny, and you've really pushed down uh, deep into what the scripture has to say about things, for me, on the other end of that has been this reaffirmation of faith and this reaffirmation of the principles and the teachings of scripture that are so, so very, very powerful. So I think it's undeniable that there can be a vilification of truth. And I'll dig down a little bit deeper, but maybe you have something to say about that. Well, yeah, I, <laughs> I think the perspective, how one defines what truth is becomes, you know, a big philosophical nut. Like, <laughs> I don't even, I, like, it's, it's such a big, like, for me, it goes back to if, if one thinks that truth is, you know, if you have sex outside of marriage, you are in sin, right? That's, it's a, such a, that's a truth to some people, like, mm -hmm. not a truth to me. Is that a universal truth? Does anything universally like what does that mean when you when you use the word true? What is some something is true? Um, I tend, you know, for the sake of just a, a little bit of clarity, I think truth has a way of being earnest, honest, useful. Like if two plus, you know, if we say it's true that two plus two is four, like it it moves in a way that that is like is god true or not true mm -hmm. well i can say that god's not true it doesn't undo whether god is or isn't some days i believe in god and sometimes i don't and i am i afraid of what that does no i'm waiting for that truth and some days i can see that truth it, it's true to me like i can i can sense it it's a it's a spiritual thing it's held it works the way, you know, not necessarily works, but things happen. Like it's true that my partner can rely on me. And then maybe some days I'm not very reliable. <laughs> well, yeah, well, I would say that's more of a subjective truth rather than a objective truth. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, this may be above my, my wheelhouse a little bit, but I, I, I don't. I don't know that subjective, I, th I feel like subjective is a slander to what truth is and trying to capitalize truth in the way that we have historically used truth inside of Christianity is problematic because it, it once one targets what truth is, it gets capitalized, it gets scripted, and it gets mandated as you know, this is true. Therefore, if you're not doing it, you're failing. Well, well let me just let me just gently gently push back on that just a little bit to say, I, I this is the kind of thing I'm talking about. See, we can villainize truth that way, and yes, it's undeniable, right? You've got the Crusades and all of that stuff, but it's also true that when we've stumbled upon truths, or I would say Christian truths that you can find in Scripture, that they've also been great societal goods and. So I, I'm, I would say that you're probably going to have a little bit of an objection to this, but it's really an undeniable truth that um, traditional marriage has been a societal good for ages and generations. So um, as a uh, believer, but more importantly, just as somebody who's looking at society and societal norms, I think to myself, well, I don't think, you know, we can have a debate as to whether or not 
uh, we should legalize, legalize gay marriage and whatnot. And, and that's not what I'm interested in. What I am interested in is, is the objective fact that for ages and generations, um, traditional marriage has been the norm. What we don't know is that when you undo that, what does it do to a society? I think that that's a conversation that's wide open, that should definitely be had. There's pros and cons on both sides and all of that stuff. However, the one thing for us to do is just to brazenly assert that traditional marriage is some patriarchal nonsense, I think misses um, some baseline realities that, that I think a lot of times we're just not willing to, to admit, uh, but they are objectifiable and they are verifiable. Um, I, th I would say that it would probably do some good to understand what traditional marriage has done for the goodness and wealth and health of women. And from a feminist perspective, the objective position that you hold actually has evidence on the other side that disagrees with that wildly. So it doesn't become, to me, that's not an objective, tr that's not an objective truth. Well, here's, I know that there are people who have disagreements, but I guess my question is, um, and that's fine, but my question is, is... It's a disagreement that women have been considered property and that it's, it's a disagreement that it's, that being a property and a possession of another human being has uh, wildly affected our quality of life, our care of ourselves, our treatment in society sure. as a whole. Sure, but would you paint marriage that with that broad of a brush that traditional marriage turns women into property? I don't think you'd say that, right? Would I turn marriage? I think healthy partnerships are very important. I don't know that I would, I don't think they're mandatory. I think we have all kinds of relationships that are both bound sexually and not sexually. I think that marriage is not made by a piece of paper yeah, sure. or or in any way in any relationship made is any relationship made better or more sacred because it's bound by a religious pact. Um, I think a, a lot of things are problematic within the idea of, of what a traditional marriage is because a traditional marriage it's different in different cultures and different places and different times. So it's, it's a bit of a circular argument for me in trying to hold up one position by comparing it to other places or other people's traditions or other people's values. But what I look at that, when I look at like when somebody else to me is talking to me about the decisions that they want to make with their persons and with their social community, um, what impact they want to make in the world, I step back from that and go, is this a healthy thing? for me to participate? Um, is this a healthy thing for you? Is this working for you? That's great, you know, if it is. How is the, you know, what is your footprint in that? Like, what does that message send to other human beings? That we can make an argument that, you know, quote unquote, traditional marriage has been used as a weapon against LGBTQ people. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's so successful here in raising whole families. Gay people couldn't possibly know how to raise children. I mean, these are arguments that, that don't, really, for me, if we're actually looking at what good are we doing for, for ourselves, what good are we doing for one another, and what good are we doing for community, these are not arguments 
that are actually purpose to to answer those questions. These are answered often the, these kinds of ideas where we say we're holding to this objective truth are actually just trying to prove that argument rather than See, yeah, yeah, a I, wider. I, I don't think so because I I, well, I think that I think that's true in some ways, but I think the reality is is that what often happens is we look for counterfactuals to try to undermine. Um, uh, the evidence that's right in front of our face. Um, so, for instance, the, this is just kind of an undeniable fact, and we can agree or disagree, but the reason the state is even interested in traditional marriage or the, uh, the, the game of writing a piece of paper to say you're married, the only reason they're interested in that is because, uh, now people could, could disagree with this, but this is the reason. The reason they're interested in that is because they've recognized that families are a societal good and they want to foster um, they want to foster these families in the system to try to help because they recognize that when healthy families create healthy kids that is ultimately something that goes back to the government and is good for them so that that's why they even got in the business of writing pieces of paper for marriage in the first place now again we can disagree w with what that should look like but that's the only reason they're they're in the game is because they've recognized an objective fact that healthy children are the the future of a society and we want to foster whatever fosters healthy children and so in their estimation that is traditional marriage marrying people and making sure that there's a, a covenant at least also on a governmental level and not just on a on a faith-based level um, but I guess all that to say um, that I, I think where we find ourselves so often in these conversations is um, is this kind of arbitrary back and forth. And, um, and maybe that's good because ultimately we can come to some uh, deeper understanding of things when, when we do that. But, but I still come back to the fact that if we continue to undermine or at least butt up against realities, that disagree with us, but then we find that those realities find a correlation in scripture, then we might have to go back to an understanding of scripture where we understand that the scripture is maybe not a, uh, a manual for, um, like an instruction manual for life as, as much as it is a, uh, the best representation of what um, a life lived should look like. You know, does that make sense? That that if we're finding that the scripture consistently brings us back to realities that we want to undermine as a society, then doesn't it mean that we should start to reevaluate what we think about scripture? Uh, I, I've certainly, I've certainly reevaluated what I want to. I've certainly reevaluated scripture in light of the fact that if it's a great model, I don't want to live in the Old Testament again. <laughs> As a queer woman, I no way, uh, you know. As a you know, and I I think that there there are an amazing amount of theologians who have have you know women you know, womanist theologians, feminist theologians, queer theologians, black theologians. There there are a whole host of Christians that for a long time have said, listen, our sacred text doesn't necessarily paint the best picture of of where we're supposed to be. It paints a picture of where we've been. And, it, and we can share that and transmit that in a way that says, look, this is an experience that somebody's, somebody else has had inside of our tradition. And I, we can learn from that. Sure. sure. There's, there's no argument to me that, you know, that Christianity, I, I, don't, I don't find much value in saying, you know, burn the Bible. But I think there's a real mistake in trying to turn the Bible into a literal manual that 
that sure. is sure. that is prescriptive instead of understanding it standing trying to stand back from it a little bit and try and recognize it for what it is which is you know an evolution it's you know it's a text that shows us the evo our ability to evolve as we encounter god yeah well i, I guess I guess my thoughts on it are is that I, I can't help but wonder if because the Bible keeps on coming back and keeps on winning, um, and, and this is of course my opinion here, my, my thoughts. What's that? For whom, for whom does it win? Okay, so before, I, I'll, I'll answer that in a second, but before I answer that, let me just finish the thought. Um, it, it keeps on winning in terms of um, the reality that it wishes to um, uh, to paint, um, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll elaborate on that, but um, if, if we keep on finding that it illustrates truths that we need to desperately rediscover and reassess and reevaluate, um, I can't help but wonder if the real reason we wish to move away from the Bible as a prescriptive book is not simply because it doesn't work or because it's oppressive or because it undermines my uh, being and my identity, but really just because we need justification for those things and the Bible isn't helping us. So that's my concern. And that's where I go back to that kind of arbitrary nature of reality and truth. Um, and again, I understand we can... There are theologians that would disagree. You know, there, I've, I've heard plenty of dissenting, uh, you know, they're like feminist, like again, feminist, womanist, black theologians that are not just throwing out the book. They're going to the to that same text and and showing our history of struggling with the, the elements that we're bringing up. It's not like you know LGBTQ people all, all of a sudden saying we're going to throw out the book because it you know because of Leviticus. No, queer people have gone back, looked at that, trying to understand it, trying to understand what it's trying to communicate. And that sacred text, you know, that text needs to be there. So that, that argument is not really helpful. And that, to me, that's one of like, to me, is one of the red flags of what, what we, what quote in air quotes, what we say when we're like trying to hold on to our position. Like that's, I don't need that. The it's like kind of an idolatrous of the Bible saying, yeah, yeah. you know, that this Bible has a place so important in this thing that if we, you know, move away from it, that Christianity will collapse. To me, is, is, is Christianity, if Christianity is true in any sense, has any truth in any sense, will it collapse when somebody challenges the sacred text? Is God, you know, any less God if people don't care? If people don't follow God or if you don't believe God, is God less God when I don't believe? And is God more God? You know, I, I, these are kind of arguments to me that are ra rather than looking at them in, in this perspective, for me, one of the, the endeavors that I've, I've tried to do as a Christian is rather not just get into the space of who's right and who's wrong about this stuff. What is truth or these arguments of, you know, what one's trying to do when one's found objective truth or not, but to be able to go, okay, what is the position, you know, what is the position, how does that actually play out? How does this, you know, really allow anyone to get closer to God? And if this allows you to get closer to God, you personally as a human being have, are able to see God in some way. How is that any more, you know, how is that any more noble or right or 
powerful than an, another human being's experience to be able to find that through other traditions, for example. Mm -hmm. There are other traditions to me that are discovering and being able to share with me insights into who God is, not not who, but what God is, is probably a more accurate way, accurate way for me, theologically, to say, you know, what is divinity? I don't think that Christianity owns that in any way. And to, because it, to, and that ownership is a thing that's present to me when we try and hold so firmly to scripture's authority with a capital A. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that it lacks authority or I'm not saying it lacks insight, but I think there is a, a perspective at which we need to be able to put in that to say that we, it has limitations on what we can expect it to achieve for us. Yeah, yeah, I, I think I think that's true, and I do agree. You can use, misuse scripture, but let's just—I'll give you a for instance. Um, if you're eating Chinese food buffet all the time, and you think this is the best Chinese food in the world, and then I take you to China and I show you what real Chinese food is, now you may not like it because it's food after all. Um, but if I really expose you to what Chinese food actually is, then you at least have the understanding of whether or not I can, uh, whether or not I really do like Chinese food rather than some cheap imitation of the thing. And so all I'm saying is, is that we, I think we should, if we do truly value the sacred, we should come to our understanding of God with a holy reverence that keeps us ever present, it, it keeps this reality ever present in mind that we can be so incredibly, and this comes from scripture, that we can be so incredibly idolatrous that ultimately what we can say we're doing is that we're expressing God in our own way or that we're discovering God with our own faith journey. But what we can actually be doing in reality is we can just truly be arbitrarily cherry picking the God that we want to meet our own expectations. And so I go back to scripture, not because I have a blind faith in an old sacred book, I go back to scripture because as I've tested scripture against reality, I keep on finding that it has something much more than just important to say to us, but that it keeps on reaffirming itself to me over and over and over again. So that's why when we come to the question of, of perhaps homosexuality and, and being a Christian, um, I, the Bible seems to be very, very clear to me. And then there's some loopholes that people try to jump through to get away with um, with their theology here in terms of whether it's the interpreter or the interpretation of scripture. None of that really holds water for me because I've all investigated all of that stuff and it, and it just really doesn't bear the scrutiny of logic at the end of the day. The real question is, is do we believe the Bible is the word of God or do we believe it is not the word of God? And I guess all I would, I, I've said it enough, but I guess all I keep on coming back to is that from my perspective, and this is an educated perspective, it's not just some, um, throw your bed, uh, brain in the trash can and then just say, Bible, Bible, Bible. Um, after you've scrutinized scripture and you find that it keeps on affirming a reality to you that you cannot be denied, well, then it draws you back to it and then starts to help you understand, well, perhaps I need to um, check some of my presuppositions and my own faith journey at the door of a higher authority than, uh, than, than my own faith journey. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, I, I I've heard it before, <laughs> um, and I I appreciate that. I mean, I appreciate that that's a position held by a lot of people. Um, 
there's I mean, there's so many things in there that are, are problematic for 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 folks like me who are already constructionists who are looking for quote unquote higher authority, um, argue, you know, authority is an issue. I mean, yeah. Yeah. again, I think the idea that says that I want, you know, authority has problems with power. I mean, how do we look at God as power? How, how do we look at, you know, how do we look at power? What is, what does power mean? Um, I, I've heard these arguments before. Um, I think there are a lot of other human, uh, there are a lot of other Christians that you could hear from that would argue those same points. And I kind of go back to, well, well, let me just stop you real quick and just ask you from your perspective, do you not, do you not share a little bit of that same concern that I'm trying to communicate? The concern that I have is I think probably more with the arguments that you're, you're actually concerned about <laughs> is that when, when other, when other Christians outside of the perspectives that the perspective that you have, when other Christians are actually challenging that, then, then those are the arguments that come out. You're cherry picking, you're seeking a God that is your God and manufactured in some way that isn't, you know, tried and tested by some external authority. Um, it, it undermines what people are actually trying to say, which is, you know, as an LGBTQ person, quote unquote, the subjective truth of family, the, the evidence of Levitical priests not, you know, sleeping with other male priests, uh, arguments that are used, you know, in the clobber verses famously for LGBTQ people, for women who have been in abusive relationships, for people of color who have been used as property, for people of power, sacred, like the Bible has been used in this way. We all know this. It is, it's been used in this way. At the same time, these same groups of people can tell you in that, that, that there has been a degree of where sacred text has been useful for their liberation and understanding their sacred worth. And that is a long-term story. It is not something that is manufactured. And I think inherently why, so, why many of us persist in saying there is something amazing about what we are doing here. Mm -hmm. Let's not try and idolatry, you know, idolatrize our, even our own religion, even our own faith. Sure. sure. To say that we're the ultimate authority on what God is and who, who God is or what God is, that, that, in any sense that we take away all of my, so I'll go back to your concern. My concern is that, that as we explore this, that we actually prevent ourselves from being able to connect to the spiritual beings that I think we are, that is connected to divinity, mm -hmm. that is sacred, that is meant to live and experience love and be whole. The conflict is that when we are fighting about that, we are actually not doing the work of actually preparing people to be able to know how, wh what are the tools that we can do? How can I teach, instead of teaching you what you should do or what you should believe in, I should teach you to be a person of faith, to be critical and to know how to be critical of the, what is an inner voice and what is the voice of God within you? What's the difference? Mm -hmm. How do you know the difference of something that's serving yourself 
or how do you know that you're making up a god or that you're not i don't know we don't know the answers of any of the voice you know you don't know the sounds of the voices in my head to know whether or not i'm crazy schizophrenic or spiritual or yeah, yeah. self vice versa by the way and by the way crazy is probably more close to them <laughs> That that's that's my genuine my genuine concern is as, as people are reaching out to connect in faith and in their spirituality, yeah. Yeah. they'll be confused that belief and faith are the same thing, and much of what we talked about today is really in that category of belief that you're not a qualified person of faith because you haven't reach the the authorized conclusions of what you should believe and well well i just i, I want to say something about that because i i don't i don't think that's necessarily fair or true only in this way is that we're not tr when i say what i've said today about the arbitrary nature of faith and about the the obvious subjective way in which we we treat truth which in some ways is okay i hope you would hear me say this is that God, if we're going to talk about a relationship with God, we don't have a relationship with an amalgamous energy force. You don't have a relationship with that. You have a relationship with a person, a being, a, 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 a being that has characteristics. And so my concern ultimately is not at the end of the day whether or not you believe the Bible like I believe it. My concern at the end of the day is do you know the one true God? Do you know the God who wants to reveal himself to you and that I believe has done so through scripture? So whether this seems cheap or not, I would just say my stance about the importance and the, and the primacy of scripture comes from my benevolence and love and care for the world because I believe that what is expressed in scripture is a faithful representation of the God who came to this earth and died on the cross for us and then displays for the, all the world to see through scripture who he is so that there doesn't have to be this guessing game. Because I think the guessing game, while there are moments of liberty and while the guessing game is something that's done for each and every one of us, in, in, I think in healthy ways and sometimes unhealthy ways. Um, I, I think we all need to have that journey, I guess what I'm saying at the end of the day. However, I, I don't want people groping around in the darkness in that guessing game when there is a revelation of God that I believe is faithful, not only because I believe it, but also because I believe it stands the test of scrutiny in science and logic and multiple other fields. So uh, we've been at this game, and I don't think we're going to solve it today. We've been at the game of trying to like undermine scripture for ages and generations from scientific perspectives, from atheistic perspectives. Um, and I, at least as far as I can in my little finite way, um, as I've listened to those arguments, as I've engaged those arguments, it just keeps on get, bringing me back to, um, to the person of Christ who has revealed himself in scripture. And then I think to myself, well, now, you can't be too bad of a guy if you think that God wants to show himself um, and has done so, and then you offer people that little tidbit of information, um, a little bit of directions on the road to wherever we may be going in, the, in this world um, to just help people along their way. I think helping somebody along, for me personally, I think helping someone along their way is if, if, if that's... If the transmission of any of our ways, if that for me, any you know, anything that I believe or anything that I share or any of my experiences with my friends. Uh, I love potato salad, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I give my I go one of the things I look when I don't know, I love scotch too. I'm a huge scotch drinker. My wife doesn't like scotch at all. 
And every time I have a glass of scotch, a new glass of scotch, and I taste it, it's it's just, it's so amazing to me. It's 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 brilliant on my tongue, and I just go, you you have to try this. You have to try this. Taste this. Like taste the notes. Taste the banana. Taste the the smoke. You can. It's so amazing. It's gonna yeah. it's yeah. gonna make you see the world in a different way. Like it's just it's gonna you just taste it. And every once in a while, she tastes it, and she's like, I don't share that with you. <laughs> she doesn't taste it. It doesn't move her in the same way. It, there's no, you know, and occasionally I ask her to try it again, and I ask her to try it again, and I, I could lay out a scotch flight for her, and I'm not, maybe eventually she will acquire a taste for scotch, but she won't have a love for it, probably. Yeah, you know, yeah. she may be able to swallow it. The reason why I tell that story is the things that we love, we inherently do want to share if we love people, we want to love them where they are, you know, not just cha not change them into who else they should be, but what gives them joy. You know, you wouldn't say to your kid, I love, you know, how many horror stories of like dads and sports with their sons. Like I was good at football. So you'll be good at football. Sure. You know, yeah, I'm, joy with you isn't there. I'm with ice skating, dad. I love ice skating. When are we going to be, you know, is that, is that subjective? Well, sure, it's subjective. It's a human being and what gives them life. If, if, if I have information that allows, if I have some perspective that allows somebody else to be, to be freer, to be whole, to find love, to be nurtured, to be living their fullness of who they are, if, if somebody asks me for that or says, hey, I'm really interested in this thing that you may or may not have wisdom on, would you be willing to share that with me? All I'm saying is that's that's an entirely different vantage point of being able to say, I know what's good for you. And because I love you, I'm going to give you this opportunity to learn it the way that I know it. Those are those are two different perspectives that I think that's the challenge of our our, our faith community going forward. Is yeah, I know that you love scotch. And I've tried to drink, you know, my partner saying to me, I, I know that you love that thing and I've drunk it and I've drank it over and over and over again. And it does not work for me. I don't get it. I don't see it. People who have been experiencing faith in that way or are told to experience faith in that way come out the other side going, this is stupid. This is dumb. I don't like it. I hate it. It's just hateful. It makes them feel like bad people because what's wrong. Or, or I do think there's an or there or they come away, they're at least initially resistant to it. They think to themselves, why would that person try to shove their religion down my throat? Why would they try to share that with me? And then they thoughtfully and carefully investigate the claims of the individual that has shared that with them. And then they come away with a faith that enriches their life and changes their life in a powerful, powerful way. I just don't know. And again, there's probably too much to keep on beating this dead horse, but I just don't know that you can easily equate Jesus with scotch. I think we're talking about apples and oranges there. That's, I'm not equating Jesus with scotch. I'm talking about the taste of human beings, the, the, the ability for us as, our, as ourselves to know something within us that, that what works for us and what doesn't work for us in some context. And what it means to another human being to be I, I suppose it's a, a, an argument of will, that it's a trust in human will to some degree, that not a trust like I trust human will is always really good. That's not what I mean. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Uh, uh, believing human will, that when you contradict the will of a, another human being, it's destructive. 
when you contradict the mm-hmm. consciousness of another human being and it, it it's inherently damaging to somebody to to be able to to say i'm going to tell you how to be instead of teach you to you know i'll be here with you and in partnership with you as you grow and as you become who you are i don't get to dictate that but i will be a person who's there in support of that i will i will help you find the information that you need i will get out of the way when you need these this is a little bit of what i'm talking about it's yeah. not that that in our faith traditions, I think that we've been so concerned about being concerned about being Christians that we don't actually see that Christianity does give us the opportunity, can and is a way, one of many ways, to be able to find who if, if who we are in our wholeness. Mm-hmm. Um, some people will have a relationship with a God. Some people will really need that relationship will be defined by that relationship. I will never be able to find that relationship for another human being. I, you can explore, Christianity is my mother tongue in that sense. You, you could ask me to explore another religion and it, it won't make sense to me probably to a degree because I've, this is my mother tongue. Does that make me the God, the Christian God? I, I don't know that I, 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 I see the evidence of that. I know that the claims have been made for that. And if that's true, I'm okay with that. I don't, I'm, I'm okay with contesting that even to a degree. That this part of what my argument is sometimes about the, the, the rut that we get stuck in is that, 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 that that's belief. That's, that's this idea that I am now in this thing and I will feel better and I will be connected to God if I believe in the one thing that I'm supposed to do. Instead of just, you know what, there is a whole world out there that that some will make, some things will make sense to us some things will will speak to us in in such flavor that will allow us to see the world in a different perspective to see something of of God's divinity unity sacredness of our unity in that in our sacredness and to then immediately say wow you're just cherry picking that steals away the joy of that person's vision mm-hmm. and if if what you're really trying to do is be in collaboration of something with a journey with somebody else and another human being that you really genuinely love and you genuinely want to be to grow then being a being helpful to that end and say i will invest in that journey with you is is my point that I'm trying to make. I, I can't force the love of scotch onto my wife any more than I can have, you know, people around me who think that I, I'm trying, I'm on a mission to, to prove God's existence. I'm not, I don't care. You say that about me, tell me I'm trying to, I've been told both sides of it that, you know, I'm trying to destroy Christianity because I didn't believe in God today. Like what? Okay. <laughs> are you with me or you like you know? i think you're awesome jennifer but i don't think you're that powerful <laughs> yeah I, i'm exactly you know it's it's not about my i would go see you think i'm powerful i'm looking for somebody else's authority there's an argument for you there right there my authority lasts about as far as i can throw and i can't throw very far the older i get so yeah, yeah. The, the 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 thing about our faith is we have at our fingertips at least some idea of the community 
of not just ourselves now, but the generations of people before us. Uh, and I think, you know, we have the opportunity to be able to look at that and say, what are we learning here? Who are we, you know, who are we that God feels mindful of, of us? That, that is a mystery and should be a mystery to us. Yeah, yeah. But when I say that it's a mystery and it should be a mystery to us, doesn't mean that I'm not engaged. It doesn't mean that I just write it off and I turn off my mind and go, oh, God is mindful of me. Yeah. Yeah. Let me tell you why. No, I know. God is, God is mindful of me. And that means something to me as a human being. Not everybody gives a shit. Not everybody cares to hear my story of why I think God is mindful of me. But for somebody who asks, I've, I've done the work. I've been engaged. And let me tell you my answer to today, why I would say, how I would answer that question. And somebody would go, and that has value to me, that has value, to, hopefully value to the people who are part of my legacy, part of you know, the social interactions that I have. These, these things are far more complicated, time-consuming, deeply personal, wildly spiritual, and significant, yeah, yeah. and aren't necessarily solved by owning whether, you know, by for me answering the question whether I am or whether I'm not a Christian and even being able to have a, a confidence of whether I am or am not a good Christian or even today, you know, a good theologian or a good debater. I don't, I'll walk away from this going, you know what, you know, being upset about the things that I said or didn't say, and I'll still know somewhere in that, that I've done the work of knowing that what I know is true which I'm a person of value of worth mm -hmm. and that this conversation is important. It's incredibly important to many of us. Is it important that you believe in the end what I believe? I don't care. I, I genuinely am not my game, at least for me personally, is not to convince you otherwise, but to hopefully have said something to be a participant in a conversation at some point that allows somebody to say, I'm not giving up. I'm not giving up on my questions. I'm not giving up on answering the question of who am I that God is mindful of me? What does the communication of Jesus say about that? Really, what does that say? Mm -hmm. What does is, what is all this nonsense from the Bible really mean yeah. for yeah. my life? I'll, yeah. I'll be a partner in that any day of the week. Well, see, that the one thing I do have to say um, is already a takeaway for me from the conversation is if, Oh, we, we've had a conversation of kind of second order and, and higher order of things. And I still think that there's, there's some, we could go around and around and around about that. But the one thing that I take away um, from, uh, from the conversation is, uh, and I take it to, to heart, is if we're talking about not necessarily the importance of truth or talking about the importance of telling people our revelation of God as we know it, from from a higher authority if we're just talking about the way in which we approach the conversation what i get from you jennifer is that you care about the way in which these conversations are had and i think point well taken because i think evangelical christians do themselves a disservice some very often in the way that they have these conversations i don't think they need to back down on what they believe but i also think that we can learn a thing or two about the way in which we conduct these conversations because um, at the end of the day there is a lot of subjective nature in the things that we are talking about because we're all on the road somewhere to some place and we're all trying to to figure it out i'll just go back and double down just because i'm a, a butthead and just and just say that 
Um, yeah, you got the scotch analogy. I'll give the kids and the toothbrushing analogy. Um, I do my kids no favors when I, when I don't brush their te teeth and force them to do it even though they don't want to do it um, because I know that there's something better for them. So regardless of what we believe about um, those higher order truths and the necessity of trying to communicate those without sounding like we're beating people over the head or that they have to believe what we believe, but we want people to believe what is, what is true and what is right and what is good. Um, I, I will say that the one thing that I hope we can take away from this conversation, at least today, is the journey that we're all on and the way in which we approach people who are on that journey. And your boldness, your kindness, and your, your generousness to do what you said in that TED talk that was done not so long ago is to just be endless curi endlessly curious about this stuff. Be willing to have the conversation. Be willing to face off with a Bob, whatever the guy's name is, on Larry King and, um, and have that conversation with a guy that knows that, or a guy that you know um, fundamentally disagrees with you about some, some simple things. But have that be okay because in the process, Bob can learn some things and, um, and then hopefully uh, Jennifer can learn some things too in the process of all of those conversations. Um, so there's so much, so much to talk about um, with any of, uh, of that stuff, but I just, I gotta just end on one final note because I know I, I gotta let you go. Um, have you, and you probably haven't, but if you have, I'm curious about your thoughts. Have you been following any of the conversation about Christian artists who are deconstructing right now, high profile Christian artists that are deconstructing right now and um, have you communicated with any of those guys or what do you think about that phenomenon within the Christian framework, specifically in Christian music? Yeah, following no, because yeah, I didn't know that it was, it was so uh, such a pandemic proportion that it was something to be followed. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I guess in that sense, I'm out of the loop, but at the same time, no, I'm not out of the loop. I mean, I've, I've been having, I've conversations with you know high profile friends for years about where they've been and uh the journeys that they've been on and i I'm jennifer by the by the way jennifer i think you're probably one of the ogs you're one of the original gangsters of deconstruction in terms of christian music so i think you kicked this whole thing off for us i was probably deconstructing in my music about two years into it um yeah uh no i think yeah I, i'm aware that there are artists that are doing that and i i think they're you know, various degrees. I mean, uh, yeah, I'm aware that they're doing that, and I, I think there are some really generous folks in doing that public, doing that publicly as well. Um, it's, it's a, it's not an easy thing to do. Um, it, it takes a certain degree of, of bravery slash stupidity slash desperation and, and love. <laughs> I don't want to make it all negative. I think there's a, there's a good deal of love and responsibility. I think particularly. For you know, like I'll just speak for myself, but knowing that for many years, you know, I, I am a, I, I do understand as a public figure, I am in a place of influence, and what I do say can sway someone or you know, dishearten someone as much. At the same time, give somebody else hope, and you have to figure out a way to live with that, and and to try and and be very deliberate. At least that's a decision I made. Is I'm going to try and, and I will be responsible for what I say. I want to be deliberate in what I share and what I talk about, um, and even and and be as transparent as one can be. And I think that's a, for some of us who grew up. I think particularly as musicians in the '90s, you know, you you get there and you're just. You know, for me, I was a kid writing about my stuff, you know, and I didn't really think about the 
consequences of where that will lead. And then you grow up and you look, oh, wow, I've influenced a lot of people to believe in a lot of stuff that I won't carry. And I'm embarrassed that I ever said or, you know, am I embarrassed about what I said that or I just outgrown it or what? All those things are part of this this process. I think that artists have had this unique position, particularly for some Christian artists to be able to do. I applaud them for doing it. It's not easy. And it is a career choice at, at that point. <laughs> You know, I think a lot of a lot of these guys, it's yeah. going yeah. to affect, you know, sure, sure. Their, their livelihood. And it's not an easy thing. And I think what I would say about that, that's the level of the seriousness. That's the level of the seriousness that we're talking about. You know, when somebody gives up on their faith or gets mad or angry or, you know, what's, you know, the decision that I ask myself in my own deconstructive phase is what kind of knowing that people were going to watch me, what kind of human being was I? Did I want to be? What was I going to be? And, you know, I, for me personally, I was like, I, I didn't want to just be mad for the sake of being mad. Right. I wanted yeah, to know, yeah, I wanted to know why I'm mad. And if I want to tear it down, if that's really what I want to do, then I want to be able to say that deliberately. And then I want to do that actionably. It's not what I want to do, by the way. Um, but I, I, I'm not for random anger. I think there are righteous anger that people have, righteous disappointments true and 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 utter doubt and curiosity that's not aiming to harm somebody and then at the same time being able to go what what do i share publicly what do i talk about in in public spaces what do i go to my private space and deal with what do i go to my intimate spaces and deal with these are questions that i think are true of any of us yeah it's not just public not just public you know christian musicians but i think a lot of people are are I, I think part of the reason why you're getting to see, for lack of a better word, the privilege that we have as artists to be able to share that part of that deconstructive journey is because we've actually been sharing that journey a lot and a long time with a lot of the people that we communicate with. We're not just, you know, we didn't just decide to deconstruct one day by ourselves. I mean, there's like a generation of us out here that are saying, really, what do I know about my faith? What what is useful about the religion of which I've come to accept my faith? Do how am I going to knowledgeably practice that? Has it any meaning for me if I'm mad at it? You know, and for me, I've tried to say, oh, listen, I want what I want to do in this conversation is to do to to do as much you know to do more good than harm. Right, first yeah, do well. no harm. It's about the best that you can do. Yeah. First do no harm, and I don't know how successful one is be it you know how one gets to claim whether you have or haven't the time will tell in the long run but i think for me and i i think calling me an og is actually really comforting to me in some ways because i've been doing this for a very long time and from the very beginning even 20 some odd years ago being told that these same levels of doubt and concerns that i had then were in some way not holy and not helpful and that i better get on board with authority that I better stop cherry picking what my faith is, or that I better start listening to the authority of scripture and things like that are arguments that I've heard for a long time. Thus, you can imagine my pushback, but I'm not just making those that pushback for the sake of pushback because I don't like it because we're seeing a gener generation of people who are now deconstructing going, I am so utterly confused yeah. about yeah. what to do about this stuff and not to just to take authority because it's authority, right. not right. to just, not to just choose arbitrarily what will be an authority for you, you know, 
these these are arguments that have been building for a lot a lot of time and that deconstruction is built up to a place where i was like i'm a little bit like yeah i told you 20 years ago <laughs> this is a problem and now we're as a generation dealing with this as a problem and not like i'm not trying to make myself as a like a prophet or anything like that like <laughs> i'm I'm sharing the buildup. What I'm saying is I'm sharing the buildup of that. Yeah, I've been yeah. doing this a long time. I've got, I'm like, yeah, you guys are deconstructing. That's what I started doing. This is the process that we yeah, go yeah. through when we, when we do these things and we repeat these things over and over again. So if these are indeed mistakes that we are making, if, should we call them, you know, should we call these mistakes? Should we call event, you know, should I call, should I have called any of the, evangelistic altar calls that I did to persuade young people to commit their lives to Christ. Should I call that a mistake? Like I seriously have gone through that. Mm -hmm. I seriously have a, a treatise I could probably write on that when it was a mistake and when it wasn't and why it should be given grace and why it shouldn't like, they're not just some solid answer that writes off the whole experience. Yeah. And I think that's what people are doing. And that's, that's what I would say to any person publicly choosing to go through a deconstructive thing is to do that with a measure of grace of understanding that this is really serious. Mm -hmm. Just to tell people that you can throw the baby out with the bathwater and that you should is not necessarily helpful as nor is it as helpful to say, if you just get things right and you, you know, take care of that baby the way that you should, whatever, you know, however you spell it should, it's just as damaging. So okay. what, what are the measures of grace? What are the, you know, absolutely laborious, intensive, really painful conversations that we're willing to be able to be in? What are the things that we're willing to do in our own selves to be able to say, yeah, I'm actually invested in that, yeah, not just yeah. myself, not just myself, because I've had to do a lot of that work. I'm not just sitting here today because I've been screwing around for the last 20 years. <laughs> I'm sitting here today because I've worked a lot on who I am as a human being. I've worked a lot on trying to figure out the way that I fit into the scheme of things. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have an answer to that, but I've worked a lot on trying to get myself out of the mix as well and not be so much in my head. All, all those things. What is, what is the object of that and how are we going to do that? And for, for me, my faith, my faith in my tradition is critical to that. So when we get to elements to like belief and they say, well, I know objectively is a truth that LGBTQ people can't be Christian. You're now taking away the one thing it gives me an opportunity to answer, you know, not answer, but to be a part of the conversation. Don't take me out of the conversation. If you love me, if you love, if you really do love love and life and God and unity, you will be a part of being able to allow somebody's pathway to move forward, not end it, not tell them where that has to go, but to be a part of allowing them to move forward. Mm -hmm. That's yeah, my soapbox. Yeah, well, I, I appreciate your soapbox. I agree with a lot of what you said there. Um, and, I, and I would just say what I already reiterated about that whole thing. Um, I'm worried. Of, I, I, I like deconstruction. I'm a fan of it if it doesn't end in deconstruction, because deconstruction for deconstruction's sake can easily just be rebellion. So you're just trying to strike back against something that you don't like and you're upset about that and it's just resentment based rather than the real work that I do believe that you were right about that some Christian musicians may be on of really trying to ask hard questions, like asking that question of, how can a loving God send people to hell? Why, why, did, why did Jesus have to die on the cross for our sins in the first place? And what does that even mean? Like, what is that all about? So all of those questions, um, I, I think, should have been asked and should be asked by 
by those who, who claim the faith. Unfortunately, they're very often not. And I do believe you're right, very often not, because the, uh, there's a villainization perhaps of asking those questions or perhaps frowned upon to really dig into those questions. Um, so I'm a big fan of it for that very reason. Um, because I believe that you need to, in order to really get to the truth, you have to be willing to, to ask those very, very difficult and hard questions. My concern too, though, is that it's really easy to come up with easy answers um, on the other side of that if we're not careful. So we have to be, we have to be mindful. We have to keep the conversation open, and we have to be willing to uh, admit where we're wrong, and then also to, I think, reinvestigate Scripture and say. Hey, maybe this thing is right and I hate what it says. Maybe this thing injures my understanding of reality and who I think that I am, but what if it's right? What if it's calling me to something that I haven't really considered or something that I've missed or something that I just don't understand completely yet? And so all of that, I think, um, demands a whole nother podcast. So maybe sometime <laughs> in the future, if I didn't, uh, if I didn't annoy the crap out of you today, uh, maybe sometime in the future, you'll, you'll come back on again and we'll have another conversation. Yeah, well, give me, give me some uh, notes so I can practice my, my uh, reading and uh, my bullet points. So uh, I came in there with like not knowing at all what the kind of conversation we were going to be into. This is pretty intense. Well, I, I, you did a fantastic job, Jennifer, and no matter what, whenever I've heard you, you've always done one thing. Your hearts shine through through everything that you've said, and so I appreciate uh, your heart and everything that you've done, and I appreciate what you've done here today, so thank you for being on. Uh, my pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me. All right. Thanks so much, Jim. Hey, guys. Thanks so much for watching, and don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. We'll catch you next time. Our thanks again to our guests for being on the show today. Indie Thinker with Reed Uberman was brought to you by our sponsors. If you like what you heard today, please do us a big favor and give it a five-star review and like it and share it with friends. And if you want to hear more awesome guests, make sure to check out past episodes. Indie Thinker is a nonprofit paid for by our sponsors and the generous gifts of people like you. In order to hear more great guests like you did today, please consider giving a tax-deductible gift by going to IndieThinker.org. And just remember, your voice matters, but infinitely more when you think for yourself. <laughs>